These three remain. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Why do you think that is? I'm asking you. Well, Gary's just going to go ahead and jump to the accurate answer. Because if you have love, what? Wow, if you have love, then you will have faith and hope. That's good. Somebody else. Why is love greater than faith and hope? Because it takes two. Love remains. God is love. You see, faith, hope, love. I'm sorry, one more. Ooh, faith and hope is what we have. Love is what God is. Here's the reality. Faith gives way to sight. When it's all said and done, we won't need faith anymore because we will see Him. Hope gives way to experience. Because once we're there, we're experiencing Him in its fullness. But love never changes. Love is forever. God is love. The reality, family of God, is you and I were made from love and for love. This is why we're so weird when we don't experience love. That's why God's love casts out all fear. Because our fear is rooted in insecurity. And insecurity comes when we weren't loved properly as we were growing up. Or if we were mishandled or abused of some way, our love has been completely jarred or broken or fractured or just completely missing. And that is why we act out and behave the way we do and have such difficulty in our human relationships, our relationship with God, eating disorders, addictions, abuse, loneliness, all of these broken attributes of our human experience all are rooted in a lack of love. So when we say, what does love look like? We are not talking about human love. This series is not about let's love one another the best we can. Let's try really hard and just try to love each other with our human love. Because as you know, as well as I do, human love is fickle. When uh, people have been married more than four years, I say, congratulations, you've passed the four-year itch. What used to be the seven-year itch. And what that means is after seven years, now after four years, I'm not, quote, in love anymore. And so, and, and, and not to minimize the, the pain of adultery or infidelity or abuse issues, but all of that comes from a lack of love. And so marriage is only making it four years, not seven anymore. We're not talking about human love that is fickle and fleeting and conditional. I love you because you're lovable. That is not the love of God. And the love of God is what this series is all about. It is a superior, supernatural, beyond human, sourced love. This love takes a woman of ill repute, a woman who had been married in the Bible. John chapter 4 is the story, if you don't know it. A woman who had been married 
five times and she's living with a man who's not her husband. She has to go to the well at noon in the heat of the day because nobody wants to go to the well when she is there because she is the offscourge of that town. But Jesus says to the disciples, I must go through Samaria, which Jews never pass through Samaria because they are religious mutts, dogs. They are the filth of the earth and the Jewish mind at that time. And yet Jesus, I must go through. Turns one encounter with the love of Jesus, the acceptance of Jesus, the validation of Jesus, one encounter with him. She becomes the New Testament's first evangelist and she leads her entire town of men to Jesus. One encounter with the love of Christ turns a self-willed, impetuous, arrogant, cocky, foul-mouthed fisherman, Peter, his name was Simon, an encounter with Christ turns him, who, by the way, denied even knowing Jesus after three and a half years of walking with him. And yet, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, the love of Christ overwhelmed him. To where he became the greatest apostle, one of the greatest apostles in the church, and willingly was crucified upside down because he said, I will not be crucified right side up because I'm not worthy because that's the way my Savior was crucified. If you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down. Or Saul, who murdered Christians, hated Jesus, and yet an encounter with the love of Jesus Christ turns the murderous Saul into the Apostle Paul who said the love of Christ compels me to build churches all over the planet. But here's where it hits home for you and I, family of God. Jesus said that this kind of love, His love, flowing through our human hearts toward one another would be such a superior love that it would shock people. It would be so different than the love that we see in the earth. And there's plenty of love in the earth. There's moms that love their, their, their children and dads that love their children and husbands and wives that love each other and friends that love each other. It's not like the church is the only place that has love. There's love all over the world, not just hate. There's true love. But you remember, we're not talking about human love. What would be so shocking about the kind of love that we express to one another as the family of God, that it would literally get the world's attention, those who have not yet come to Christ, and they would see the love that we have for one another and say, you guys must be Christians. You guys must be Christ followers. That's where the word Christian came from. It was a derogatory term originally, calling people Jesus freaks is really what it meant in that day and age. It's little Christ, Christ, I-A-N, Christians, little Jesuses, little Christs. You guys must, you guys are acting like Jesus. This is the love that we are going to be talking about throughout this series. And here is Jesus's, by the way, command, not invitation or suggestion. Here's his command to you and I. Jesus says, now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Now you say, well, Why is that a new commandment? Because of this little caveat, this next phrase. This is the new part. Just as I have loved you. Oh, I get it. Have you always been lovable? Have you been so 
amazing that you've impressed the Trinity and they just had to have you in heaven to brighten up the place, to up Jesus' social eternal profile. Just had to have you because you are a shining example of what perfection looks like. No, how has Jesus loved you? That's the new commandment. He says, what is it if you greet your friends? You're no better than anybody else. But it's when you love your enemies. For God causes the rain, the rain to fall on the just and the unjust and the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. Be like your father in heaven. That's the new commandment. <laughs> turn to your neighbor and say, oh, geez. Go ahead. I know that's what you're feeling. Just turn to him and say, oh, me or amen or oh, my or help me. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Not our faith, not our hope, not our doctrine, not our political affiliation, God forbid. Next week, I'll be talking about loving beyond our differences. You do not want to miss next week's sermon because it was going to hit you square between the eyes and right into the heart where it really matters, where the rubber meets the road. Please be here next week. It's going to be lethal. But today we need to start in the proper place, which I have very little time, so I'm going to have to get to it. Because we can't start anywhere else than where we're going to start today. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If you and I have faith to move mountains and we have all the knowledge and we even give all our money to feed the poor, but we do not have love, we are nothing. You can have the bumper sticker. You can have the Jesus t-shirt. You can speak in tongues, wag your, wag your Bible. But if you don't have love, you're annoying. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. There are people I see represented in Christianity on all the news stations, in the media, in Hollywood. I see them having platform, and I just want to say to them, shut Ah, please, you're not doing the kingdom of God's service. It may not be what you're saying, but it's how you're saying it. It's the way that you're coming off. It's your demeanor. It's, it's just not representing me. I don't think it's representing Christ well. How are you representing Jesus at work with your family members, with people on the other side of the political aisle? Are you behaving the way Christ would want you to behave? Your Facebook posts, would Jesus really, really write that? Jesus says, 1 John 3, 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives to one another for our brothers and sisters. What does real love look like? Here is the reason I opened with the Easter uh, video of Jesus being crucified. You're like, well, Pastor John, didn't we just celebrate Easter last week? Didn't we look at his crucifixion last week? For believers, we do not meditate on the cross once a year. We are to meditate on the cross every morning when we wake up. It is to be our guiding light, the center, the core of who we are. Because the essence of love is sacrifice and there is no greater sacrifice than our savior hanging on the cross 
Love is not love until it hurts, until it gives up something, until you have sacrificed. Somebody says, I'm in love. Well, yeah, maybe. You, you may be in love, but probably you're in infatuation or maybe euphoria or maybe you're in heat. But I, unless love, unless you have sacrificed, unless you have given something to the other person that costs you, it's not love yet. I remember I did one of the dumbest things I've ever done in the 23 years of my marriage. We were about six months in. We're sitting on the couch in my one-bedroom apartment on East County. We're watching some chick flick because that's what you do if you want points with your bride. And as we're watching it in the movie, and Hope's out of town this weekend so I can say this without getting in trouble. She, uh, in the movie, the girl looks at the guy and says, are you in love like you always wanted to be? And I thought to myself, oh, no. Oh, sure enough, she looks at me. Are you in love like you always wanted to be? Oh, my gosh, I wish I could have that moment over again. I, I told the truth according to my definition of truth, which was the first mistake. And I said, no. And the congregation groans. I said, the kind of love I have always dreamed of being in is when we've been married for 10 years, we've had kids and we've built a life together and we can turn around and say, look at what we have built together. That's the kind of love I'm looking forward to. That was the wrong answer. Wow, did that not go over good. Until we hit the 10-year mark. Thank you very much. And she turned to me and she said, now I know what you were talking about 10 years ago. Now, after 23 years, you know, that's what true love was after 47 years, right? Gary and Kathy, is that right? 47? Almost. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's what real love is, is sacrifice. Oh, how Kathy has had to sacrifice for 47 years. <laughs> John 15, Jesus says this, so this is my command. Everybody say command. He is our king, you know, and kings can command. Love each other deeply as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. This is where our series must begin. Because this is our example of Christian love, which is sacrifice. Jesus exemplified this love. This love is so powerful, it can overcome any offense or insult or any wrong done to it. Just look at our Savior. Jesus carried societal shame having been born out of wedlock. The whole town knew that Mary was pregnant before Joseph and Mary were married. And in that society, forget about it. His motives were completely pure, just wanting to save the world from their sins, and yet he was branded, quote, a deceiver of the people. Have you ever been misjudged or misunderstood? Anybody ever been misjudged or misunderstood? Your, your motives have been falsely or wrongly your life story? 
How about by some of your closest friends that are supposed to know you, and yet they accuse you of motives that are not in your heart, and you know it, and yet they accuse you of that? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever experienced that before? Ever been betrayed by a best friend before? Well, so is Jesus. He was lied about and set up in court. They set up false witnesses in court against him. Talk about experiencing injustice. He was set up and sold out and betrayed by one of his closest friends, Judas. He was denied by one of his best friends, Peter, and abandoned by all of his friends when he needed them the most. He said, I am so, I am so depressed. I feel like I'm going to die, Jesus said. And blood started coming out the pores of his face. He was under such stress. And what did his best friends do who he asked to please pray with me? They fell asleep. Now, you might say, well, this is no big deal because he was actually God. Well, he was also 100% human, and he feels exactly what you feel. He He feels you. He understands the depth of it. He's been there. And ultimately, he was even accused of being demon-possessed. Maybe you've been accused of that by a person or two. I don't know. But Jesus, the Son of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, pure love, was called demon-possessed, and yet Jesus loved them all. That's our standard. First Peter says this, Indeed, this is part of your calling, for Christ suffered for you and left you a personal example, and He wants you to follow in His steps. What sacrifice to love those who hate you? How? With the love of God. It's a supernatural love. I have felt it flow through my heart before toward those that hurt me. And I'm telling you, it's a supernatural flow. I'm sure many of you have felt the same thing. That scripture says that he is our example that word example is the Greek word hupo, combined, which means under, combined with the Greek word grapho to write. It literally means tracing letters. Our lives are supposed to be an exact copy of Jesus's. In other words, you could lay our life on top of Jesus and it looks like you traced Jesus. Our love for one another is supposed to look So much like Jesus' love for us that we look like Jesus. Now, if you are anything like me, which you are, because you're a broken, fallen, pathetic human being too, compared to the original, right? Huh? Okay, are we going to start in a place of honesty or are we going to pretend with one another? If Jesus' love is our standard, you know that we are all just got a zero. We just all got a zero on the exam. It's impossible. It's impossible to love those who have hurt us, mistreated us, lied about us, backstabbed us. That is why we must start this whole series with this truth. It is not enough 
to have an example of Jesus' love. We must have an experience of Jesus' love. That's why I'm calling this message the fountainhead of love. Do you know what a fountainhead is? When you see a waterfall, that is not the source. The water that comes off that waterfall started way up in the mountain somewhere as the rain fell and it froze and the snow melted and then the water comes down and you see this beautiful waterfall. Or a fountain, when you see a fountain shooting up, that's not the fountainhead, that's the expression of the fountainhead or like a spring that's under the earth and you have this natural spring and it comes up. The fountainhead you cannot see. The definition of a fountainhead is a spring that is the source of a stream. The principal source or origin of a thing. And look what the Apostle Paul writes, who used to be a murderer of Christians. Look what he writes. The very spring of our actions is the love. I remember one time, this is not you, I'm talking about a different congregation of mean people, so I'm not talking about you. When I used to pastor out in East County, and uh, I was overseeing about 100 singles and then uh, about the same amount of young people, youth, and, and I was on staff out there, and there was just a handful of people who were criticizing me, and there was some gossip going on in the congregation, and, and uh, they were challenging my motives and accusing me of things that just weren't true, and when you, it's like a parent to a child. When you are sacrificing for a child and then they treat you disrespectfully or dishonor you, it hurts incredibly deeply. Not One, not only because you love them, but two, you've been sacrificing ever since they came out and screamed, right? Ah! Ever since they came out, they gave the first cry. You've been wiping their butt. You've been putting the bottle in their mouth. And you've been feeding them. You've been paying for them, right? And, and then they treat you with disrespect and you just, ah. Oh. All right, you just want to make, mm, keep those words from coming out of your mouth that you can never get back again because it's just the frustration. Well, pastoring can be the same way. As you are shepherding and loving people, and this isn't, I'm not giving you this example to talk about me, I'm talking about the love of God. Because we're just all human, we're in this together, and we're all imperfect, so it's not a big deal. But I, back then it was a big deal. I was about 25, 26 years old, and I was so angry and hurt, I just wanted to quit. And I told the Lord, I will not teach anything that will help your people. And I remember I just, just oh, I had to teach that night and I just did not want to help his people because they're just mean. And uh, so I went into the sanctuary in the church and I knelt down before the cross and I said, God, you got to help me. What should I do? Because I do not want to teach because I'm angry and hurt. And he said to me, teach how lovely my body is. And I, I mean, my eyes pop open. I looked up at the cross and I just did not know what to say to him. I wanted to say no, but I don't dare. I couldn't talk. I didn't know what to say. I was so frustrated. I did not want to. I had no revelation. There were no scriptures whatsoever to support this. And I went home. Some of you heard that story before, but I went home, I walked in, my dog was there, greeted me, and I literally kicked my dog. I was so angry. I know I just lost half of you. I marched around the backfield, I was kicking tumbleweed, I was mad, I was saying, I can't teach that, I don't believe it. 
I showed up to church that night out of pure obedience. I walked through the door, and as I walked through the door and people were milling around, this joy to see everybody flooded my heart, and I could not believe it. I was hugging people. I got up to preach, and all of a sudden, this scriptures were flowing through me about the love of the love of I mean, the, how beautiful the body of Christ is, and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the bride of Christ, the triumph. And I'm preaching. I mean, it was so anointed. I couldn't believe it. It was powerful, and people were shouting, "Yeah!" And I went out the back door of the church after that. The door shut, and I said, "What was that?" And he said, "That was my love." That's called agape love, unconditional love. That was the most powerful experience I've ever had with the love of God that I'm trying to talk to you about today. It is a supernatural, superior love. And now I can tap into that well whenever I want because I've experienced it. Jesus is the fountainhead of this love. Look at what he says in John 7. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to my religion. Let him come to church, right? Let him go up on the big hill and shave his head and put a sheet on and go la, 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 kumbaya. Let him give money to the church. No, if anyone thirsts, let him come to who? Come on, say it out loud. Oh, that was so weak. Let him come to and drink. See, if you and I do not come to Jesus and drink, we will be growing up in the church and we will just be religious automatons. We know how to go to church and I say hallelujah. We know how to look at the Bible. We know how to raise on praise the Lord. But nothing's going on in here because we have not come to him to drink. The most dangerous thing is to go to church and not have an ongoing relationship where you and I are tapping into the love of Christ. Because the only choice we have is to operate in our own love with one another, and that just doesn't work. We are a supernatural community tapped into a supernatural love. And when that river is flowing through us and out of us, then we look like Jesus. Jesus says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I was going to give you five ways to tap into this love, but I'm out of time because we had to do other things this morning in light of yesterday's tragedy. So I'm just going to stop there. The main thing I wanted to get across to us today, family of God, before we launch into, who knows, a two-month series on loving one another was we have to start at the fountainhead of love. And I'm telling you, if you've never experienced it before, when you, as a human being, experience the love of God, 
literally you will laugh out loud at the opinions of people. Not with attitude. Not like the person who's well, that person's well balanced. Yeah, they have a chip on both shoulders. I'm not talking about, well, I don't care what people think about me. The person who says that cares the most about what people think about them. I'm talking about not attitude, not cockiness. I'm talking about when the love of God, and this is what I'm praying that we experience over the next couple of months, that we have encounters with the love of Christ. During as I'm teaching, I'm asking the Lord, signs following Jesus, signs following, come on, signs following. When we experience the love of Christ, experience it, literally, the opinions of people just don't matter anymore. And you actually love. Our world's being taught today how to be easily offended. Microaggressions. Aggressions that are in the subconscious. They're so, we're, we're learning how to be so fragile when actually the Bible says love is not easily offended. Love overcomes and forgives offenses. It's not about what you do to me or haven't done to me. It's what I'm doing to you. I'm loving you in the midst of you hating me. That makes me a Christian. As we embark on this profound love journey together, Would you stand with me this morning and ask the Lord sincerely, ask Jesus, Lord, give this to me. Will you stand with me this morning? Give this to me. Before we even begin to try to love one another, we must all come to Jesus and say, not my love, but your love. And this is the moment, family, this is the moment right now where we come to him and we sincerely ask him for it. And Joshua come up and lead us in a song about the love of God. And we're going to be here for about five minutes. And I want us to expect, maybe you'll have an encounter right now. But I tell you what I've learned about God. When you call out to him, like we're going to do right now, you may not experience it right now, but he heard you. It may be on your way home. It may be tonight. It may be tomorrow morning. Or it may creep up on you. And a week from now, you just cannot believe how you're responding differently to your spouse or to your kids or to that neighbor of yours, the person at work. That's because God's responding to the prayer we're going to pray right now. A sincere call for experience with God's love in here flowing out through us. Will you do this with me, family? Can we come to the fountainhead together this morning and ask him for his love? Josh, will you lead us? This is a prayer song. So begin to ask for it. I'm going to do it with you.
Just like a hurricane, I am a tree Bending beneath the weight of His wind and mercy And all of a sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions Eclipsed by glory And I realize just how beautiful you are and how for me When I think about the way yeah, He loves us Oh, how He loves us Oh, how He loves us Oh, how He loves Oh, He loves Yeah, He loves us scriptures I wanted to read today about Jesus being the fountainhead and tapping in his love and experience but you've got enough to go on to, to turn your attention upward to him this week I want to ask you as a congregation spend time this week it could be driving in your car 
It could be in your bedroom alone. It could be on the treadmill, wherever. This week, I'm going to ask you to turn your attention and ask him to reveal his love for you, to you. So it begins to break open inside of you. You're going to find the greatest freedom you've ever known in life as this love of God begins to break open in you. Then as we continue forward and start talking about loving one another, it will be doable because this love has broken up inside of you. Father, I pray for our congregation today. I pray, Father, for this people and myself. We pray, Father, this week as we turn our attention toward you that you would override our prejudices, override our jealousies, override our angsts, our frustrations, our hatred, override God all the things in our heart that are that are that are subpar to your love and fill us God this week I'm asking you Father have encounters this week with us of your love for us and change us and mold us and make us copies of Jesus so we can begin loving others the way that you love us. Pour it out, Father.